Go ahead and find your seats. Love how much you guys love each other, but we got stuff to get to this morning, right? Um, so I'm wearing my Lions shirt. It's the opening Sunday, right? See the Colts shirt out there? That's cool. That's good. Um, we don't have any pro teams around here, so it's kind of weird because like NFL Sunday is like, eh. <laughs> College football is a lot bigger of a deal. But anyway, um, so we're going to continue. And uh, my name's Chris. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to continue and actually finish this morning our A New Community series. So um, what I want you to do is if you have your Bibles or you have your phone, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And as you do that, I just want to give us a quick recap of where we've been in this series. So uh, we've, we're in a theme for the year called All Things New. If you didn't notice, it's painted on the back wall. Um, we've been talking about how Jesus makes all things new. And uh, one of the things that he does when he makes us new is he puts us into communities of people uh, that are also Jesus followers. And, and when this happens, uh, he gives us a new community, and this community acts and functions different uh, than the rest of the world. And so we said in the first week that Jesus has given us a new way to love. Jesus has given us a new way to love. Last week, we talked about how Jesus gives us a new way to think, and we talked uh, from Romans about how God wants to transform and renew our minds. He wants to change the way that we think, and today, we're going to talk about a new way to live uh, in Hebrews chapter 10. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, we thank you so much uh, for this morning. Thank you uh, that as we have lifted you up um, in praise, that, that God, we know your, your presence is here um, with us. And so we just ask you this morning that, uh, that you would speak. Jesus, as we open the pages of Scripture today, I pray that you would be revealed clearly. Um, Jesus, you'd use me as your mouthpiece today, um, and that you would speak what you want to, that your truths would be communicated. Jesus, as we see you, this morning, we pray that uh, you would just compel us uh, to look more and more like you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. So, um, my dad, growing up, um, was the store manager at a Walmart, um, and so uh, that was actually why we moved from Florida up to uh, the Detroit area, because my dad was given a Walmart store, and he was the store manager, kind, kind of a big deal, right? And have you ever been, like, walking in Walmart to where the bathrooms are, um, and there's those doors that say employees only? Have you ever wanted to go back there? <laughs> no? You're like, what, what could be back there? It's a Walmart, right? Um, so I'll tell you, it's nothing that exciting. There's just, like, offices and some storage space and pallets, and that's pretty much it. Um, but there was one really cool room back there. Uh, I thought was pretty cool, was the loss prevention room. So see, Walmart has this loss prevention manager that they hire, and they're basically like the sheriff of Walmart. <laughs> they're the ones that are in charge of making sure that people aren't stealing things and that you're not, basically that you're not losing profit out the back door, right? And so in the loss prevention room, I remember um, their, their manager there at that store was named Tanya, and she was, she was the most intimidating woman I've ever met. Um, but I remember uh, my dad, because I was, you know, because my dad was the store manager, I was able to go into the loss prevention room. And it was kind of cool because they had all these monitors hooked up and it was, it was like every camera in the whole store. So you could see all the security cameras. It's like you had all the power, you know. And I remember sitting there when I was young, just like sitting in the chairs in the loss prevention room and thinking like, nobody else gets to go in here. 
This is kind of cool. It's just like me and dad and Tanya. That's it. <laughs> you know? And you get this special access. I had this special access because of my relationship with my dad. Like, not anybody can go back there. You don't want a normal customer just getting to see all the security cameras in the whole building, right? But because of the relationship that I had with my dad, I got this special access. Well, this morning, this is kind of a silly, small example of what we're talking about. Um, but as we're digging into Hebrews chapter 10, it's important for us to understand what's going on in the, in the earlier parts of the chapter. We're going to start in verse 19 and work our way through from there. Um, but it's important for us to kind of lay the groundwork and understand what's going on earlier in the chapter. And for us to understand that, we have to talk just for a couple minutes, hang with me, about the Hebrew sacrificial system, okay? So I have a diagram that I'm going to throw up on the screen here. Uh, so this is a diagram of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where the Israeli people would go to worship. This was like their church, if you will. Um, and they would go to worship at the tabernacle. And there were kind of some layers to the tabernacle, so they kind of had like the outer courts and then the inner courts and then there was the holy place and then there was the most holy place. And depending on your status, whether you were a priest or a high priest, whether you were a Jew or just a Gentile, not a Jew, um, it kind of determined where you could go in the tabernacle. They kind of had levels of access. Now, the Jews believed that this most holy place, or sometimes you hear it called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so this is where the presence of God would dwell. So you'd go to the tabernacle because God was there, right? But, but they believed that the, the presence of God was in the most holy place. And you see where it says veil right there? There was a veil. There was a big, thick curtain that hung between the most holy place and just the holy place, right? Um, there, was, there was a veil there, and so only the high priest was allowed into the most holy place. And here's the crazy thing. The high priest was only allowed into the most holy place one day a year, the Day of Atonement. And so what the priest would do is all year he would cleanse himself. He'd perform all of these cleansing rituals, and he was like the holiest guy in town, right? And um, he would come in, with awe and reverence, often shaking probably, terrified, and he would go behind the veil and he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And this was supposed to forgive them of their sins. So he would take an animal like a bull or a goat or a lamb and he would bring it in to the presence of God in the most holy place and he would offer it on the altar. He would sacrifice this animal. And this was their ritual one day a year. I want you to imagine that you're not, you're not a high priest, right? Imagine that you're just a normal Jew. And this day of atonement only happens once a year. So I want you to imagine the weight of guilt and shame that you might have carried with you all the time. And not only that, but we show up to tabernacle, we show up to worship, right? And we don't have... We don't have full access to the presence of God. Instead, you have to stand back at a distance. And there's a veil. You can't even, not only can you not go into the most holy place where God is, but you can't even see it. Could you imagine this? This is the old way. This is the old system that the ancient Hebrews used. And this old way was generally a life lived feeling distant from God, 
generally was a feeling of, of farness from God. We are, we're, we're separated from him. It's a life spent striving and trying to measure up and never quite hitting the mark. Not only that, but this day of atonement that happens for the forgiveness of sins, the crazy thing is, here's the big problem. The writer of Hebrews earlier in the chapter, in chapter 10, tells us that these sacrifices didn't even really work. Look at this in, in chapter 10, verse 4. This is a little bit before where we're going to start in Hebrews. It says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The writer actually tells us it, it actually didn't even really work. In verse 3, the writer actually tells us that the only reason that they would do this was to remind themselves of their guilt. These sacrifices were so that they would be reminded that they're guilty. That they would be reminded that they've done things that are wrong, that have separated them from God. Could you imagine the feeling of the weight of the guilt and shame that they might have carried? See, I... I think that we actually can relate to these ancient Hebrews more than we think we can. Because although we're, we may not be killing bulls and goats, um, you do what you want in your garage, right? I'm not going to judge you. Um, we put them on smokers now, right? That's what we do. Um, even though we may not be killing bulls and goats as sacrifices, uh, I think that we do know what it's like to carry the weight of guilt and shame. And I think that we do know what it feels like to try different things, to make things better, and none of it really works. You following me? Sometimes I think that what that looks like in our lives is we try and numb ourselves. It's just a way to placate the pain. Maybe it's by abusing substances or abusing relationships or the dopamine that we get by scrolling on our phones. We watch way too much Netflix every night, right? To just numb that feeling of emptiness inside of us. Or maybe we just try to be a good person, you know, whatever that means. If I'm, if I'm just good enough, then like maybe, maybe God will accept me and everything will be okay. And that, that feeling will go away. That guilt and that shame will no longer be my reality. But, but that doesn't work. Or maybe, we, it, says so, it seems so silly to say this out loud, but maybe, maybe some of us are just trying to live the American dream. And we're just like, if, if I live in the right kind of house, the right size house, if my kids are good and successful, if, if I drive the right kind of car, if I have the right kind of job, maybe then I won't feel so empty. Maybe then the guilt and shame will feel better if, if I can just have all the things that I want. But we know that that's not the key to real abundant life. Or maybe... This one's a little bit closer to home. Maybe we go to church. Maybe we think, if I just sit in the chairs and I sing the songs and I give my money or I, I do whatever I'm supposed to do, that maybe, maybe God will step in. And, and a lot of the time, we're just trying to show up so that God gives us something, right? There's something in our lives that's broken or there's relationships that we can't fix or there's things that we've done that we can't take back. And we just think, well... Well, maybe God will fix it if I just follow all the right steps, if I do the right religious stuff. And we're all just trying, grasping at straws to try and fix the brokenness that we have and we feel, and none of it actually does anything. None of it actually works. 
And we're stuck in the old way, just like the Israelites. We spend our lives striving and trying to measure up. But here's the good news. I know it's been a heavy first 10 minutes here. (laughs) Here's the good news. The writer of Hebrews continues in chapter 10, and he tells us that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one that was able to go behind the veil into the holy of holies. And Jesus, as our high priest, offered a sacrifice that we never could. He offered himself. And that by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we now have access to God. It's the wildest thing. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture we're in the tabernacle and Jesus, our high priest, goes into the Holy of Holies and he turns around and he tears the veil and he says, come on in. This is what Jesus has done for us. And so, if the old way of living is one of striving and not measuring up, the question begs itself, what does the new way look like? And I think today as we dig in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to see that the new way of living is a life of faith, hope, and love. So let's pick up in the text here, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, you see that? We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, did you see that that line? The most holy place. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. Imagine being an ancient Jew and reading this. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. Why? Some of you might remember when in the gospel accounts when Jesus is crucified and when he breathes his last, what happens? The veil to the temple is torn. That as Jesus' flesh is torn on the cross, that the veil is torn at the temple and he has made a new way for us to access God. That we can go to the most holy place because of what Jesus has done. The writer of Hebrews says that he has given us a new life-giving way. So the question is, Jesus, because Jesus has created this new life-giving way, what are we supposed to do? What, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to not live into the old way anymore, but instead to live into the new one? Look at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So the writer says we can draw near to God in confidence because of the way that Jesus has made for us. You know what the old way is? The old way of living is to cling to control. The old way of living is to think that I can do it myself. I can figure this out myself. And we're striving and we're trying and we're doing our best and we're grasping at straws 
to try and hold on to this illusion of control when really at the end of the day, Jesus did what we couldn't do. Jesus was enough in all the places that we're not. But the old way of living is for me to try and control everything instead of surrendering to Jesus. And I know that I'm living in the old way because it creates a lot of anxiety and worry in us. Think about it. Why does, why does control create anxiety and worry in us? I know why it does for me. Because I know myself. I know I'm not good at a lot of different stuff. And I know that when it comes down to it, I don't have much control of anything. Think about it. Your next second isn't promised. You can't control anything. And so when we're trying desperately to hold on to control, we're living in the old way. And we're worried and we're anxious because, because we know that at the end of the day, we're really not trustworthy. We're really not the kind of people that, that should be in control, but we feel like this is all that we have. And the new way that Jesus is inviting us into is that in every situation, we need to surrender completely to him. This is what the Bible calls faith. You see, the writer said the assurance that faith brings. Because we can let go of control and we can say, God, I've been trying to do this myself. I've been trying to make my life meaningful or significant. I've been trying to stay away from destructive patterns. I can't do it. Can you take it? This is what God calls us into. And because we can have faith in him, this means that we can look back on his track record. We can see who he is, who he's been, right? We can see that he's never failed us, and he won't start now. And so we can trust him with full assurance, knowing who he is. And so instead of us trying to control things and hold tightly to stuff that we can't even really do anything about, instead we get to lean in to who Jesus is. And we can trust him. And so when things get hard or things get scary or anxiety or worry comes to the surface, what we get to do is we get to lean into Jesus. We get to put our faith and our trust in him. So the new way to live is one to live in confident faith. Look at chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I think this hope word can get twisted for us. We use it a lot, but we use it the wrong way. Think about it. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope our food comes out soon, right? Like... We, we've turned hope into like a wish, right? I, I'm wishing for this, I'm wishing for that. That's not the hope that the Bible talks about. That's not the biblical definition of hope. See, when the Bible says hope, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. What it's talking about is it's talking about a confident expectation of what God has promised. So if faith is looking back on God's track record and seeing that he is faithful, then hope is knowing that he's faithful and looking to the future. Hope is us being able to pick our head up 
outside of our circumstances, outside of our situations, and look forward to the future knowing and trusting who God is. You know what the old way is? Old way is the opposite of hope. When we're living into the old way, the old way is hopelessness. Hopelessness is survival mode. Have you felt this before? You can't think about the future. You can't think, you don't have dreams. When we're living in the old way, we stop dreaming. We stop planning. We stop hoping. When we're living in the old way, we lose the ability to imagine a future that's any different than our situation right now. We lose the ability to imagine a future that's any different than where we are right now. That's what the old way looks like. But see, the new way that Jesus invites us into is, is where we live holding on to hope. We know that, did you know this? God has dreams for you. God has plans for you, for your family. God has dreams and plans and visions for your life. And what we know about God, because we know his track record, is that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Which means that whatever the future looks like, I don't know what it is, and he's not going to tell me, but whatever the future looks like, it's going to be for our good and for his glory. And so instead of being fearful and worried and anxious instead of keeping our head down and just plowing through to the next day. Instead, we can pick our heads up and we can say, God has dreams and plans and visions for my future. And we can trust that whatever he has in front of us is good. That's what hope is. I love how the writer uses this word unswervingly. Hold on to hope unswervingly. So, do you remember the first time you got behind the wheel of a car? I remember the first time I got behind the wheel of a car. My dad let me get behind uh, the wheel of a car before I was even, had my permit. Don't, we'll edit that out of the podcast. Don't. Um, but I remember, like, the first time getting behind that wheel, and do you, do you remember that feeling of the car? It just felt like the car wanted to do this. Am I the only bad driver in the room? Like, no, seriously, like when you get behind the wheel, do you remember where you start doing this thing, right? Because it feels like it's just so hard to just stay in the middle of the lane for some reason. The first, one of the first things that my parents taught me when I was learning how to drive was this. You're going to go where you look. You know? This is why when you see someone rubbernecking and they're going like this, what do they do? Off into the rumble strips, right? Because you're going to go where you look. So if you're constantly looking to the left or to the right, you're going to go to the left or the right. But if we're looking ahead, we're looking at the middle of the lane, straight ahead. Guess where you're going to go? Straight ahead. I love how the writer says, hold on to hope unswervingly. That if I look to my circumstances or my situations, if I look to my anxiety, if I look to, to, to my, my I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be swerving all over the place, right? But if I look to the hope that Jesus has given us and I look ahead and I say, I look ahead to whatever you have for me, God. 
because I know that it's going to be for your glory and for my good, and I can trust you, then we're going to stay on course. So we've said the new way to live is to live in confident faith and to hold on to hope. Finally, the new way to live is to live out love. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We, as a new community, as Jesus followers, need to do what? Consider how to spur one another on. Now, this word consider is important. What does it mean? Think about it. Be intentional about it. Because here's the deal, is, is if we're not intentional about it, and we're not thinking about it, and we're not planning for it, it's not going to happen, right? And so, so the writer tells us to consider how we might spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. It's important that the writer puts these two things together. Because see, here's the deal. You can't love someone and not show it. You can't love someone and not do something about it. There was this famous group of philosophers in the 90s called DC Talk, and they said, love is a verb. Very few people got that. That's interesting. Um, they were like a Christian hip-hop group. Um, but they said, love is a verb. Check it out here. This is how John writes it in 1 John 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He didn't just say he loved us, but he did something about it. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with words and speech, but in actions and truth. Love and action go hand in hand, right? What do we say? Put your money where your mouth is, right? We got to do something about it. Actions speak louder than words. We know this. And so we can't, this is where missional communities come in, by the way. This is where missional communities come in. Because here's the deal. You can't say you love your neighbors or you love your community when there are needs to be met that you see and you ignore them. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love the people that God's put around us. We're even called to love our enemies. But listen, I can't say that I love someone when I see them in need and I'm not willing to help. This is where missional communities come in, is that we have a, pe a, a group of people that gather around, and what do we do? We consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. When you go to missional community, there's an entire section of the night where we just pray together and we plan. How are we going to serve the people that God's called us to serve better? How are we going to love the mission, the people that God's called us to better? And so they literally, in a missional community, you literally do what Hebrews is telling us to do. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. 
So we've said in the new way to live, we live in confident faith, we hold on to hope, and we live out love. Let's look at verse 25 real quick. The writer says, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, um, in the last 18 months, we have seen a lot of people give up on church. In the last 18 months, we've seen a lot of people give up on church. I think I've had more of a front row seat to it because I pastor at a local church. But if you talk to pastors, not just in our area, but all around the world, people have left and right used, and don't get me wrong, COVID, pandemic, all of these, you know, racial and political divisions and all these, all these issues that we faced over the last year, year and a half, there have been a lot of excuses to opt out. But the problem is, is that we've seen a lot of people that have gotten completely out of the rhythm of church and they never step back into it. Or maybe, if you're in this room, you're doing a little better than most, right? Maybe you're here. Permission to step on your toes a little bit? Maybe you're here, but you only come here when it's convenient. Maybe you're here, but it's like only when you feel like it. Or when we don't have something better going on. And... And listen, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about people that choose to stay on the live stream. We got a live stream going on right now, and we're thankful for y'all. I mean, you need to do what's right for your family. It's a weird time. I get it. I'm not talking about people that are making the right decision for their family or for the health of their family. What I'm talking about is people that have used the numerous excuses that they've had over the last 18 months to completely opt out of the rhythm of gathering together. And I'm not just talking about Sunday either. Because let me tell you this, Sunday is great. I love Sunday mornings. They're my favorite morning of the week. Um, it's great to get to gather together and worship Jesus together. The reading and teaching of scripture, fellowship, giving, all of the great things that we get to do on Sunday mornings are amazing. And there is a place for them, an important place for them in the life of a Christian. But hear me. What we do on Sunday mornings is like less than half of what God has called us to as Christians. And it's less than half of the community that God has called us to be plugged into. This is why we have missional communities and huddles. Because what does the writer tell us to do? Consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. This forum doesn't work super well for that, does it? That's okay. There's a place in the life of the Christian for a Sunday morning service. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that it's only part of what God's called us to. Because God's called us to gather together with people that will spur us on toward love and good deeds. This is literally what a missional community does. I love how the writer throws a little bit of shade here. He says, as some are in the habit of doing. Don't forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Like, we all know those folks, right? But I love how he uses this word habit. It's intentional, I think, that he uses the word habit. Because listen, how many times have you formed a bad habit intentionally? 
Never. Right? Almost never. Usually bad habits are something that we kind of slip into. Right? Bad habits are formed unintentionally. They just kind of happen. How many of y'all have formed a good habit unintentionally? (laughs) It doesn't happen, right? Good habits are formed intentionally. Good habits are things that we have to be intentional about. Good habits are things that we have to try at and things that we have to apply ourselves to. And, And if there's anything that we've learned about habit forming, it's that habits are so much easier to form in the context of community. It's so much easier for me to form good habits and get rid of my bad habits when I've got a group of people around me cheering me on. You guys see all these like workout programs on Facebook and stuff, right? What is it? It's just community. It's people that gather around each other and say, hey, did you do your thing? I did my thing, right? And the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do this with the church, that we need to be in small groups of people that are pushing each other and that are spurring one another on to love and good deeds. So when I was in high school, I went on a mission trip to Chicago. We were like on the south side of Chicago doing inner city work, and we were doing um, like VBSs and Bible camps and stuff like that for um, for children in that in those areas, and one of the days we just decided that we were going to go to one of the parks there in downtown, right off of Lake Michigan, and we were just going to walk and pray. They called them prayer walks, and basically we would pray before we go out. We'd say, God, if you have somebody for us to talk to, something for us to do, then tell us, put it on our heart, and we'll do it. Otherwise, we're just going to be walking this park and praying for the city. And uh, so I was walking on a prayer walk, and um, I saw this guy that was sitting on a bench just kind of overlooking Lake Michigan, and the Spirit told me so clearly, I can't even describe it how or why, but the Spirit told me so clearly, you need to go talk to that guy. So what did I do? I kept walking, (laughs) right? Y'all, I know myself. I'm going to pick the easy option I'm going to pick the comfortable option. I kept walking. And one of the girls that was there, she was an Egyptian immigrant with one of the churches from the Baltimore area, and they had met us in Chicago. She walked up beside me. I didn't even know she was walking next to me. She walked up beside me, and she put her hand on my arm, and she said, you know we're supposed to go talk to that guy. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess we are, (laughs) right? It was just the wildest thing. And so at that point, I can't say no. And so we went up and we talked to him, and, and it was, I mean, it was awkward at first, because whenever you start a conversation with a stranger, it's usually pretty awkward, but after just a couple minutes, we had broken the ice, and he had gotten to the point where he had told us kind of what was going on in his life, and he was hitting a really hard spot. Uh, he had cheated on his wife, and his family left him, and he was actually a believer, but he had... He hadn't been in church in a long time, and he had forgotten a lot of the truths that we remind each other of when we gather together, right? And uh, he went on to tell us that he had gone that morning to this park to sit on this bench and overlook Lake Michigan and consider if he wanted to continue living. And 
I mean, being in high school, like, I did not know I was signing up for this kind of conversation, right? Um, but we, we talked with him. We reminded him of who Jesus is. And, and, and we reminded him that he can, you know, have faith in Jesus, that he can hold on to hope. And as we talked with him, we prayed for him. And he just said, hey, I, I came here asking God for a sign. Like, I needed God to speak to me today and and i i got what i was looking for so thank you and he got on his bike and he rode away and here's the thing here's the thing i don't tell that story to make it seem like i'm this awesome guy i'm telling this story to tell you honestly i would have walked straight past the man i was going to walk straight past the man And I don't know what would have happened with him. I think God gets what God wants, so who knows what God would have done to intervene and to save this man. But at the end of the day, I had the opportunity and God called me to step into his life and to speak the gospel, and I was gonna walk straight past him after the Spirit had clearly told me to go. And I needed my sister Heba I needed her to touch my arm and to say, you know, this is what we're supposed to do. And so when we're talking about doing these things, living into the new way of life that Jesus has created for us, I'm here to tell you this morning that you can't do this stuff alone. I can't hold, I can't live in confident faith by myself. There are weeks and months that my faith is weak and I need my brothers and sisters to tell me stories about how good Jesus is and and all the times that he's come through for them. I can't hold on to hope myself. It's too easy for me to look at my circumstances or my anxiety and 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 to swerve and to lose course. But if I'm with a bunch of other believers, that are all holding on to hope together and they can say, hey, I know that things look rough right now, but God has a plan. It's so much easier for me to hold on, right? Because we're holding on together. If I get the option, I'm not gonna go to love and good deeds. I'm not gonna love people and actually show it because guess what? I'm lazy. And I'm I'm not good at doing what I really know I'm supposed to do unless somebody comes alongside me and says, hey, let's do this together. And that's just how we're created. That's that's just how God made us. So this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is maybe, maybe you're not in a missional community yet. We've been talking about it like crazy for the last three weeks. We even had a missional community fair a few weeks ago. But maybe you're not in a missional community yet. You haven't committed yet. You haven't pulled the trigger. Listen. Today's the day. If the Spirit is speaking to you and you feel God prompting you, don't even wait until you get home. You could pull your phone out right now. Go to mcsignup.org. You could do it right now. Do it before you leave this room. Because we need to commit to doing life and following Jesus together with other Christians that are going to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. We need to do that. Maybe you're signed up for a missional community, but you don't go. Listen, 
if you don't go to missional community, you're not in a missional community. <laughs> Sorry. Um, maybe it's time that today you say, hey, I'm going to commit to this. We're going to make this a rhythm in our family's schedule. Listen, y'all, there are busy people in this room that make time every week for their missional community because it's important. And so maybe this morning it's time for you to say, hey, you know what? I've gotten out of that rhythm. I've gotten out of that pattern, and it's time for me to step back in. Let us not forsake meeting together. Don't give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead let's consider how we can love each other and how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Amen? As the band comes up, we're going to end our service this morning uh, with communion, and then we're going to sing a song together. So if you haven't received the communion elements, we have them back there on the tables by the front door. Just go ahead and get them right now if you haven't grabbed them yet. What we're going to do as we take communion is I want this to be a direct application of what God has spoken to us this morning. Because as you take this, as we drink the cup, I want you to remember the blood of Jesus and thank Jesus for his blood. That because of his sacrifice, he's cleansed us of our guilt and our shame. And guess what? We have access to the most holy place because of what he's done. He has created a new and life-giving way for us. And so this morning, as we take the cup, we remember that that is what Jesus has done for us with his blood. As we take the bread, or this little wafer thing, as we take it this morning, I want you to thank Jesus for his body. And I don't mean his physical body, I mean look around the room. This is the body of Christ. I mean, if you're in a missional community, think about your missional community. Thank him for his body people that rally around you and help you to live in confident faith, to hold on to hope and to live out love. Say, Jesus, thank you for your body. And maybe this morning, if you're not in a missional community, as you take this, I want you to resolve that you're going to commit, you're going to step in to healthy Christian community that you need. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for you speaking to us today. God, I, I pray that as we, as we take these elements together this morning, that we would know that your presence is here with us. That as we remember your sacrifice on the cross, as we thank you for all that you've done for us, Jesus, that you would compel us to look more like you. That we wouldn't give up, we wouldn't get in the habit of giving up on the Christian community, but that instead, Jesus, we would lean into this new community and that we would lean into this new way to live. We pray these things in your holy name. Everyone said, amen.